Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars. All the racing I've done, supercars and, uh, you know, all the GT and drifting and all that kind of stuff, I think it all helps. A lot of seat time and having some good times racing, it's, it's a lot of fun. As long as we don't allow some of the lunatics to um, get the keys, then uh, it'll continue to be at the, um, at the forefront uh, through hard work and diligence, particularly on the part of the team owners and investment by them. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars. This is our season wrap, our final for 2017. And coming off uh, a Newcastle event that was uh, extraordinarily successful, but also an extraordinary race. Craig, it was an amazing weekend. Craig Gravel and Tony Whitlock here on Inside Supercars. It was an amazing event. Uh, certainly the best debut of a street circuit I can remember. And probably... The best that anyone can remember, I know that James Warburton wrote to the Newcastle City in an open letter saying just that, that supercars, the teams and everyone associated with the series was uh, so impressed with what was able to be achieved in Newcastle. And I guess that's a good segue to the chat we had with Kurt Sasuski on Saturday before the first race but certainly after the mega crowds on Friday and then we saw them all rolling in again on Saturday. But before we get to uh, what we're going to talk about this week and look at our review, let's just have a look at the most recent news that's come out. Uh, DJR Team Penske have sent out a release advising that they have asked for a review of the uh, pit lane speeding that was given to uh, Scott McLaughlin in uh, the Sunday race. Uh, an extraordinary moment. They've detailed uh, in this release what they're putting forward, showing that at no stage did car 17 go over the 40k limit. So they're saying that not from point of view they're expecting any uh, change to a race result, and obviously that can't happen now. But what they're wanting to do is ensure in future that when penalties are handed out, that they are emphatically right or wrong that that penalty should be put forward. So that was one of the things that's come out this week, and they'll have a meeting with uh, Supercars Technical on Monday next week to discuss that very same subject. The other news is BJR are testing this week um, at Winton. I don't know how many cars they're taking, but it'll probably be the last time they test with Noonan race engines because they're moving to Kenny McNamara. Kenny McNamara, of course, is the KRE engine man, it runs a very successful operation there, been supplying Triple Eight with all their race wing engines, as well as Techno and Preston uh, Hire. Um, BJ are going to use the KRE engines across its three main game cars, probably their three development series cars, DV2 cars, and also they've got a couple of uh, Kumo entries. So that's an interesting change with consolidation of an engine supply. So that's it's an extraordinary weekend, and uh, we're very fortunate this week to uh, review with one of the most experienced motorsport journalists in Australia, Mark Fogarty. He is currently a uh, correspondent for both Speed Cafe, the website, and V8X, the magazine. He's going to give us his insight of all his years of covering motorsport, dating back to the 1980s, uh, on uh, how he saw the weekend pan out. That we're also going to speak to Journalist of the Year, 
Tom Howard, who will join us a little bit later on the show as well. Yes, of course, he won the um, V8 Media Association or Supercar Media Association uh, Journalist of the Year. A couple of breaking stories for him on the internet, which were terrific. Now we uh, really should just look at the extraordinary year that was uh, just gone. Probably the most competitive ever with uh, a new uh, record holder for the number of pole positions in uh, Scotty McLaughlin. It was really like a coming of age for him this year, wasn't it? It was indeed, and uh, he certainly set the benchmark now with pole positions. Uh, 16 is going to be remarkable, and in the coming weeks we'll hear from Mark Dutton about that benchmark, and uh, of course hot on the heels of the ZB Commodore about to go out and be homologated, where... uh, of course, Mark Dutton is saying that uh, one Frenchman is going to be there doing his job to slow them down as much as possible. After the break, we'll be coming out with Mark Fogarty to discuss 2017, the year in review. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page. And to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We have a real treat for us today. We have Mark Fogarty, known as Fogs Around the Traps, who has been covering motorsports uh, for a very long time. Specifically, I'd like to ask you, actually, when did you start? You started your cadetship with the Australian, was it, Mark? Yes, Tony, in 1975, but I actually started writing as a 15-year-old student in 1972. So, yes, I have been around quite a while. Thank you for reminding me of that. That's quite all right, because it's your experience that gives us the uh, real treat to uh, have your experience of a man who covered Formula One, Australian motor racing uh, for a long, long time, as well as many other sports I know, uh, Mark, you're involved in. This season has been an extraordinary one, I imagine you would believe. Of course it has. It's been something of a roller coaster ride, and in the end, well, you couldn't possibly script the outcome. That final race in Newcastle was extraordinary. And it's not over yet. Well, the result's over. Jamie Wincup remains the Supercars champion for a record-extending seventh time. But now DJR Team Penske, somewhat surprisingly, I have to say, are raising doubts about the penalty that Scott McLaughlin got in the initial instance for speeding in the pit lane. And that, of course, caused that cascade of events that cost him the title DJR Team Penske, as you well know and will have seen, have put out a media statement that basically says, well, we've checked all our data and we say that the car at no stage going into the pit lane for that first pit stop of Scott McLaughlin was it speeding. And that's in direct conflict with what the uh, speed detection system in the pit lane, the loop system embedded in the track said. So... um, It's now come down to a he said, she said, doesn't change the results. And I'm just wondering what is in this for DJR Team Penske. 
Are they taking the high moral ground? Can they, if they prove to supercars that there was an error somewhere, how, do they say we was robbed? All very unsavoury, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that particular penalty was the start of an extraordinary sequence of events. I don't ever remember seeing any race anywhere, any time that was as convoluted because the permutations that were were going there i mean that you know there it was on the final lap of that final uh, final race and uh scott was in the 11th place he needed but then because craig tried to take him and he made a move suddenly it was it was out but extraordinary sequence of events and the controversy has raged ever since there's been a social media storm of people claiming conspiracy theories and Everyone has a view, some agree, some don't agree with the various opinions, expert or otherwise put forward. And the McLaughlin and DJR team Penske fans have been uh, staunchly uh, fighting their corner. And of course, everyone else, <clears throat> well, I'm not, re I'm not really sure uh, if many people are actually been cheering for Red Bull Holden Racing Team. I guess there must be some out there. It's interesting, yeah, folks, indeed. that you have the situation where if there was a conspiracy theory, surely the biggest return was having Scott McLaughlin win and also then having T DJR Team Penske take the title. That would have been more lucrative, as it were, for supercars. Of course, being entirely cynical about it, if there was any manipulation, that's the dream outcome. You wanted the new young rising star the absolute speed merchant of supercars um, to come out as the champion, a new face as supercars champion. And, uh, well, the team, DJR Team Penske, uh, they got the team's championship. So, um, in fact, for Roger Penske, who, of course, was visiting the race, um, that was actually the most important thing. He wasn't impressed to see the way Scott lost it. But to be fair, after that, pit lane penalty and the way he had to just go for broke and the way he drove and turned Simona Di Silvestro around and then had that clash with Craig Lowndes right at the death knell and bouncing off various people in, in between, you know, and in that circumstance, I'm afraid he was the architect of his own demise, but, you know, championships on the line, he, he had to go for it. Was that the biggest thing the of the year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should think so. Uh, I mean, his, his new lap of the gods at Bathurst to win pole position up at Mount Panorama was pretty extraordinary from an absolute purist point of view. That was the most stunning thing we saw this year. But, no, you, you couldn't top the drama of that uh, last race in Newcastle. You know, what a, what a debut for that track. You know, given what happened to Jamie Wincup on the Saturday, he was gone for all money going into the final race, 78 points behind. He had been 30 points ahead going into the whole Newcastle 500 shebang. So that turnaround and the ex absolutely extraordinary circumstances in which it all played out, um, as I said earlier, you know, a Hollywood scriptwriter couldn't possibly come up with that one. I certainly don't have the imagination to to dream that up. It's, you know, it's in the in recent years, it's it's one of the top three absolutely most surprising and dramatic races. I still say... I still don't think you'll ever top Bathurst 2014 for amazing action. And 
Then we go back to the events that decided the title in James Courtney's favour back at Homebush in 2010 in that wet race where basically everyone went off, crashed, and it was a race in the pit lane to get the cars repaired. And, of course, Courtney's Dick Johnson racing crew at that time got him out and he finished that race and had enough points to clinch the title. But those three are the most extraordinary races in recent memory. And uh, I don't know, this last race in Newcastle was either two or three, I'm not sure. I'm probably leaning towards number two behind Bathurst 2014. Then, of course, there was 15 when uh, um, McLaughlin, uh, in his final race at Telford, a final race, final year at uh, GRM, uh, Tanda and uh, Wind Cup got together in those last laps. So, I mean, that was another extraordinary Bathurst event. Uh, uh, last year, yes, of course, it was. That, yeah. that, that was. that race ended in uproar. All right, well, you got four then, you know. <laughs> well, you yeah. can go even further yeah. back and go to Phillip Island, which I think is the rightful place for a grand final. Um, and remember when all the Holdens ganged up on the... Uh, yeah. the uh, no longer better electrical sponsored Craig Lowndes car. In 2007. Mm. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Uh, and there was monkey business in 2006 at Phillip Island as well in the decider. Um, yes, of course, there are many very eventful races, shall we say, but I just literally was thinking recent memory, so I wasn't going to stretch it back too far. But, uh, yeah, it was one for the ages. We can certainly say that. Mm. So where's Supercar sitting now? No CEO at the end of the year and uh, they've got rid of general managers and all sorts of people out of the organisation. No commissioner chairman, no uh, Roland Dane on the board. Where's the business? I would imagine that it would be safe to say that they, they being supercars, has some challenges ahead of them, betting in uh, new key management, <clears throat> starting at the top. There's also a new boss of Supercars Media, which it's just a fancy name for Supercars TV. Um, Simon Fordham has moved on to the Nine Network, who head up their rugby league coverage, and Nathan Prendergast, who's been uh, the absolute gun director behind the scenes in in Supercars TV in recent years and, and other areas of television. He's been promoted to be the uh, the boss of Supercars Media, so that'll be interesting to see what changes, if any, there is in the style of coverage and, you know, will it get better? As I said, Nathan Prendergast is uh, an award-winning director and very highly regarded in the TV, the broadcasting business. He'll be bumped up to management, but... I'm sure you'll still see his fingerprints all over the broadcast. And the other challenges... Sorry, I was so happy with what I said then that I forgot to continue. Uh, the other challenges is just the business, business itself, bringing money in. You know, sponsorship is hard to get. Um, there's a new TV deal that's probably next year. Sean Siemens, the new chief executive officer, I would think one of his priorities is to start negotiations with potential broadcasters and... First off would be Fox Sports, and then to that uh, renewed deal with Fox Sports, you'd imagine he has to uh, tack on a free-to-air deal because that is still vital because for the sheer numbers of eyeballs, <laughs> ironically, you can't beat the old tech TV free-to-air. So during 2018, at some stage, I'm sure he will begin talks with broadcasters 
for a new deal which will take over uh, in 2021, I believe. So that's the main challenge, bringing more money into the business and then ongoing, there's the, the, the technical side of it. Where are the rules heading after the current rules uh, expire, as it were, the Gen 2 rules go through until I think the end of 2020. Will we see any new manufacturers in before then that will take further advantage of the allowances of two-door coupes and non-V8 engines, which so far hasn't really done anything. Holden is the only brand that's coming in with a, a twin turbocharged V6 uh, scheduled for 2019, and we don't know what Nissan's doing, if anything, after their existing deal ends at the end of next year. So very big question marks over how many new manufacturers and new models will be taking part. Um, maybe none. Mark, one of the interesting things I thought this year was that in, this, in the way that uh, this year was a coming of age, Scott McLaughlin moving from uh, GRM to DJR Team Penske, that team with Penske now as part of Dick Johnson's, they came of age because with Ludo Lacroix coming across, they showed throughout the year that they had speed and they had speed to burn all over the place, every track they went to. Um, that was an extraordinary... They did indeed. That team... Yeah, they've come of age, really. Well, after two years uh, of reorganisation and re-resourcing um, under Roger Penske's majority ownership, he owns 51% of the team, um, and the key appointments, as you pointed out, were Ludo Lacroix, the former technical guru of AAA, and grabbing Scott McLaughlin, who's, you know, He's the next big thing, we know that. Well, he's not the next big thing. He is the big thing. He's already arrived. Um, and individuals can't make a team, but they can certainly inspire. So along with um, the bolstered technical resources and the key people they put in place, um, you know, led by Ludo Lacroix and then on the driving side with McLaughlin, he lifted Fabian Coulthard, who, were, quite frankly, a lot of people thought he would just be buried by... Scotty McLaughlin. Um, he wasn't. He had to brush away a, a bit of sand that had been thrown on top of him, but he put in a pretty solid performance this year and ended up finishing third in the Drivers' Championships. It was key to helping the team clinch the team's championship, finally ending Triple Eight long Fiend. run. Job done. And uh, my, my point of view is, as I started saying, is that McLaughlin and Lacroix, respective abilities, but they inspired the team to lift to new heights and uh, suddenly we had Triple Eight having uh, the strongest opposition they've, they've ever had in their, what, decade-long reign? And uh, uh, Pro Drive Racing Australia in the second half of the season, they stepped up a bit as well. So um, essentially, for most of the second half anyway, we had a three-way competition between the teams, which is something we haven't seen for quite some time on a regular and consistent basis. And just going back to your earlier question about what lies ahead for supercars. It's not all negative as well, or not all, you know, big challenges they have to over overcome. On the basis of the last, well, now, four, maybe five years, you've got to say that the on-track product is outstanding. It's got to be among, well, it's got to be the best touring car racing in the world, and by that I mean conventional touring cars, not NASCAR. And the racing routinely is fantastic. You know, the racing at the front. 
is action close. The whole field is very close. Um, the one problem that supercars doesn't have looking ahead, it would seem, is competition on the track. So it's a pretty good base, you know, if you've got a strong product, um, a particularly attractive entertainment package, as in the racing, um, that's certainly a good base from which to work. So it's, I think it has to be acknowledged that what we see on track, pretty much event in, event out, uh, is, as I said, outstanding. Going back to the formats they'd used earlier and went to shorter formats has certainly paid off. They now seems to be that's almost off the agenda to look start looking at shortening races and, and those sort of things. The pit stop set, the way in which that works, that all seems to be well sorted now, doesn't it, Mark? Yes, Tony, and pretty much it was a no-brainer. There was a lot of faffing around till they finally settled upon what was obvious and most people understood would work. Um, this, you know, 120-kilometre race on Saturday and then followed by the full-on 200-kilometre in the sprint format events, uh, it works a treat, combined with, of course, most events using the, what did we call it this year, the super soft tyre, which really is just the old soft compound in disguise. But um, apart from the problems they had with the, what was it, the soft tyre, Phillip Island, and um, there were some other events where there were some tyre issues, but certainly Phillip Island, remember, with tyres exploding, failing everywhere, and on the on the prime compound, let's say, which actually was only used, what, for three events this year? Um, or maybe was it... They one of the events Pookie in Adelaide, well. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, no, I know it was, it was Phillip Island, Bathurst and Pukekohe. Didn't they use hard... <coughs> the, the prime tyre... Wasn't that used in one of the races in the Adelaide 500? Hmm. I thought it was all anyway, soft. Anyway, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, there may have been a variation. I'm sorry, just you know, it all piles on top of each other. But anyway, for most most of the events, you know, they, again they stuck with the soft compound tyre, which has proven since its introduction to be, um, you know, more long lasting than than it was actually supposed to. But it, it is it has actually helped the racing. Uh, in those events, so the combination of the sensible format and sticking with the softer of the two comp- compounds has been a winner, and uh, you know, they are going to stick with it because it works. As we've seen a, a number of years before, Triple Eight dug deep and actually found the speed they needed. You know, Win Cup's the only driver who finished every race. He won only four of the races compared to uh, McLaughlin winning eight. But that consistency of always being close to uh, the front got Win Cup the win. Uh, that was the key to it. Never say die. He never gave up. He fought all the way. And it's his best of seven, <laughs> of his seven championship victories. This was his best by far. It was the most difficult and I would imagine the most satisfying because he just dug in and he had to fight all the way. The only time he led the points was going into the Newcastle 500. And that was only briefly because he was back behind going into the last race. So it was a tribute to his, not only talent, but his tenacity. It was a tribute to Triple Eight. You know, they were distracted. They they were slightly off their game all season. But, you know, they worked hard, worked hard, and they kept particularly Jamie Winkup in the game to the point where where it all fell apart. 
there he was, last man standing, another title. So it was a tribute to um, his absolute commitment and determination and equally to Triple Eight. They, they dug themselves in a hole, but they pretty much almost dug themselves out. They weren't the pace setters. They never were the pace setters. You know, it might have been the odd pole position here and there, but it was mainly Scott McLaughlin and DJR Team Penske all year that were setting the pace. And that, that's something very different, but the fact that essentially, you know, after a wobbly start, but, you know, about, what, fourth event in or something, McLaughlin what was the man to beat. And previously, even when he didn't win the championship, Jamie Wincup had been the man to beat. But this year it's McLaughlin. His speed, as I said earlier, was astounding. And his, his record of pole positions... Stunning, you know, 16 pole positions for the year. That's a new record, and <laughs> that's a tough one. I, you know, maybe he'll beat it next year, but that's going to be a, a very tough one to beat. And, you know, if he's the fastest driver all year by far, and on the base, you know, you could argue that, well, he would have been a worthy champion, obviously, if he'd managed to pull it out of the bag. But, you know, he, he was the driver of the year to my mind, but. Them's the breaks. Jamie Wincup wins the championship and now a very big argument, a very persuasive argument there to say that he is now not only officially the greatest of all time in the history of the Australian Touring Car Championship and the Supercars Championship, um, but I think subjectively as well. A couple of other things I just want to ask you about, Mark. You had known of, and certainly probably Nomona de Silvestre. She put in a wonderful uh, weekend, uh, badly treated on Saturday when she was turned around by uh, Van Gisbergen, I think it was correct? It was Slade. Saturday, it, Van it was Slade. Jim Slade. They yeah, well, she, yeah, yeah. Yeah, bit of a kind of a rookie error again. She got run wide. Shouldn't have been there in the first place, really. Yeah, but then on Sunday she did show some great skill in passing. Finally. Actually looked yeah. like a real racing driver. She took the fight to everyone and anyone, everywhere. Her overtakes on a track where overtaking was difficult, unless you got really brutal about it, um, were, were superb. I mean, as I said... She finally looked like she belonged there. And I have, you know, I had to say, apart from Bathurst, where she threw it away anyway, um, this is the first time she looked like she belonged in supercars. And it was suggested that that happened because it was a pl level playing field. Everyone was new to the Newcastle street circuit, which, you know, is a pretty brutal old place, isn't it? You know, short, yeah. tight. Um, bumpy and you know it's just uh, you know it's just a battleground out there but you know she she lifted her game and she was right into it so that well kind of bodes well I don't know if it was because it was a level playing field because she was new they, everyone else was new to it like her I suspect that's a bit simplistic but for whatever reason um, in that very final race she actually looked like a pretty handy supercars driver so if we see more of that next year, um, her much ballyhooed and arrival in supercars and all the fanfare will actually be justified. Mm. I'm thinking two years of Formula E where you're on new street circuits most of the time probably also helped. 
Um, interesting. I wouldn't have thought so. So different. But, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. There, there might be some logic there, but the cars are so different, I'm, I'm not sure. She's, you know, she was just on her game, and she was taking it to the other drivers, whereas before, well, most races, they were pretty much duffing her up, weren't they? Mm. You know, the, they were very mean boys most of the year, I have to say. <laughs> and, and, you know, again, look at the, the car she's driving. You know, the Nissans, just they aren't front-running cars either, so she has to overcome that as well. And in Newcastle, she was doing that. So uh, let's, let's look forward and uh, await her return next year uh, I believe she's already left the country and headed back to Switzerland for the summer oh hang on that'll be their winter why would you do that mm. <laughs> not sure about that must be must be very into skiing I suppose <laughs> likes a white yeah. Christmas likes a white Christmas yeah. um, looking forward Mark um, we can only surmise that we're going to see much of the same um, next year uh, with uh, DJ Penske. I mean, Mark, um, rather, uh, Scott uh, McLaughlin obviously will learn from this, learn about how to come through a, a bad weekend and make sure that he gets as many points as he can with not being down to the last position in a race to decide whether he wins a championship or not. Um, are there any things else that you can think of that will be uh, new for 2018? There'll be plenty that's new there are new team combinations there are new drivers and new young drivers coming in but i i agree essentially the fight at the top will be much the same it's going to be well particularly mclaughlin i think well he'll have a year under his belt with a top team he will have learned from the mistakes that he and the team made early in the year. There were some, there were some howlers there until he got on that run. Um, and also there was, you know, I mean, the killer, the absolute killer was the engine failure or the, well, a, an engine component. Well, was it in the valve train failed at Bathurst and, you know, zero points there. Whereas even though Wind Cup had problems, they got that car going again. He, he scored some points and, you know, that was the big difference in the end. It, McLaughlin had a, you know, got, a, you know, even a reasonable, you know, like, I don't know, 40 or 50 points just for finishing Bathurst, we wouldn't have, we have, wouldn't be having half this discussion. So, you know, that chink, that odd chink in the reliability armour of DJR Team Penske, I mean, they have a history of, you know, almost bulletproof engines and certainly among the most powerful. So that... That was an odd one. Um, they're not invulnerable, though. I mean, in the last race in Newcastle, you know, Fabian Coulthard, um, you know, did a transaxle. So, I mean, that's out outside of the team's care, I suppose, being a supplied control component. But, you know, add them all up and, uh, you know, there's the root of Scott McLaughlin's problem in that why he's not the supercars champion. But you would imagine that from his side... He won't be making those mistakes next year. He won't get any slower. And you wouldn't imagine that the Falcon FGX is being fettled by, under the uh, technical tutelage of Ludo Lacroix will get any slower either. So um, they'll hit the, hit the track in Adelaide running, I would imagine, Triple Eight. 
Well, that'll be interesting because they'll be betting in like all the well, all the Holden teams really. I well, we imagine, but betting in the new ZB Commodore uh, and a brand new car is always problem. There's always potential teething problems or development issues, but if they get the aero package right um, during the homologation testing that's going on, um, well, this week as we speak. Um, You'd imagine Triple Eight will be up there. Pro Drive, or as they will be renamed next year, Tickford Racing. Um, you'd expect them to be just as strong, hopefully stronger. They weren't very consistent this year. Um, you know, they had a very strong lineup, and they'll only have an even stronger lineup next year with what Chas Mostert, Mark Winterbottom, Cam Waters, and Richie Stanaway joining in the uh, fully four car. Uh, pro, uh, not pro drive, Tickford Racing, uh, Falcon Armada that they'll be fielding. So you've got to be watching then. One of the big questions, question marks will be how will Walkinshaw Andretti United go? New name, new partners. Will there be anything different in terms of the results? Will, will that new international alliance actually drag that team back to some semblance of what it used to be back in its Holden Racing team glory days? Initially, I wouldn't have it's thought so, but there's potential. It's a bit surprising, Mark. I, I, I was when they announced that Boost will be the sponsor um, uh, of Note, the keynote sponsor next year. That seemed very early uh, to be announcing that. Well, better, better early than late. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, but you would have thought they've locked Zach in that Brown. sponsor. Oh, it, it'll be a while before Zach Brown's commercial expertise will kick in, I would imagine, Tony. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. just a few months, you know, this stage of the year, I don't think you'd expect him to be pulling in anything meaningful. It'll take a while for him to, to you know, find potential sponsors and then sell them on the idea of, you know, going to the other other side of the world to get involved in this, what to them will be this strange touring car series. So I wouldn't... You wouldn't expect to see any any dividend from that involvement until well into next year. Um, another another interest, well, among many interesting entries, will be the recast Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport, which becomes a one-car operation called uh, 23 Red Racing, which is a new partnership, as you know, between uh, um, sponsor Phil Mundy uh, and... Uh, well, Lucas Dumbrell stays on as 40% partner in that. And they've managed to snag Will Davison. And that's, it's, well, it's, this is last chance for Davo, isn't it? Apart from winning Bathurst last year, he had another couple of difficult years with Techno. So he moves to a Tickford Racing uh, customer car, Falcon. Um, and this is his chance um, to not only lift that team, which will be run by Cameron McConville, um, but to raise his stocks again. Um, and an interesting choice to go to what is, still at this stage, a back-of-the-grid team, uh, when he, his alternative wasn't a full-time driver of any note, but he's, well, there wasn't one, actually. There was no other alternative. But there was a viable alternative in the sense that he would have been a highly prized um, endurance co-driver I think he could have written his own ticket and I would have imagined that Triple Eight would have snapped him up. So if he could have uh, got a cushy enduro, or not cushy, but, you know, 
a top enduro driver where we are given the potential to win Bathurst again. And maybe even he probably would have been then ripe, ripe to be doing the wildcard events in the twin-turbo V6-powered ZB Commodore that AAA uh, scheduled to run next year in preparation for the switch in 2019. So, um, anyway, that's not happening. So, Davo, who is a, a class driver, one of the top drivers, um, it's great that he's still in the series, but, you know, I think this is his last chance to prove that he's still a front-runner if the equipment and the team is up to it. A number of uh, good things happened in the last uh, weeks of the championship. One was the coming together of the Matt Stone Racing with the uh, uh, the new champion, the the uh, Super Two driver in um, Hazelwood, Josh Hazelwood, uh, winning that championship and bringing that. And I'm sure that you'd be of a mind that the Stones, Matt and his father Jim, will bring the level of skill needed to run with Wes McDougall, a long-time Stone Brothers engineer to bring that car uh, certainly maybe not into the top 10, but certainly in the top 15 very quickly. It expects so. They've bought an ex-DJR Team Penske Falcon, so that should be pretty swift. Todd Hazelwood is one of the rising young guns, so he gets his opportunity after grabbing the Super 2 title. Um, and, yeah, Matt Stone bringing a famous name back into the team ranks. Um, it's a, a very attractive-looking proposition for a new team. They're leasing their wreck, their racing entitlements contract from Jason Bright initially anyway. And the team looks to have good funding. It's backed basically by, well, a couple of very wealthy guys, Jason Gomesell and James Rosenberg. So um, they don't waste their money, but both have pretty deep pockets. And they've already put a lot of money into motor racing in various guises. So... The team should be, for a start-up, uh, quite well-funded and, you know, with a good driver and depending on, apart from Matt Stone, and I guess Jimmy Stone will be involved, apart from the Stones, the quality of their engineers and, uh, well, mechanics or are they technicians? I don't know. Anyway, the rest of the people who look after the oily bits, you know, depending on their calibre, um, as I say, it could be quite a... I don't know about surprising, but it'll be an, an interesting new entrant anyway, that's for sure. Hmm. Folks, 2017 uh, saw a change for you. Uh, 2017 saw a change for you, folks, with moving over to Speed Cafe and, uh, of course, the uh, upfront with folks moving to a, a video each uh, fortnight. That uh, must have been a welcome change after years of transcribing. Yes, it is easier to do it on video, I must admit. If you're able to do it, it's like anything, though, isn't it? Something's only easy if you can do it. So apparently the reaction to this stage has been good. So so far, so good. And it's been, an, it's been a very interesting change. It was a, bi a big change after, you know, years with auto action and then, what, six, maybe seven years with the Fairfax Media Group. It was time for a change, and you have to adapt. You have to adapt and change to survive in the rapidly changing and increasingly more difficult media world. So luckily I was able to find um, a spot in speedcafe.com's lineup, and uh, to this stage, yeah, it's, it's, it's working well. Anyhow, that's for other people to judge, so, but from my point of view, it's working well anyway. Um, one last thing I just wanted to talk about, um, Mark, I don't know if you went to the award night 
but I was delighted to see that Will Brown got the Mike Cable Award. I'm sure you'd concur that that's a young man who is likely to go a long way in the squad. It was a, a good decision and it was the best decision of the lineup of rookies who are eligible for the award. He was certainly um, impressive and he has an impressive background, so it would appear that he has a, a very strong future. So he was a deserved winner. He was certainly the standout candidate among the rookies. Um, Simone Vestro was actually one of the rookie, rookies who was in contention yeah. for the Young Gun Award, but uh, I'm sorry that... <laughs> She may have been a rookie technically, but that was a bit of a nonsense that she was um, a, a candidate, that she was on the list, and luckily um, she she didn't get the award because that just, that, you know, nothing to do with her. It just wouldn't have, wouldn't have been appropriate and it would have, it, it just would have looked wrong, you know. It just looked like, it would have looked like, oh, we'll give it to her, to her because, well, you know why. So, yeah. Will Brown, he's, uh, he'll have another chance next year to prove himself and you'd imagine we'll see him in the main game in the not-too-distant future. And speaking of the not-too-distant future, we've all got a Christmas break coming up. Mark, I hope you enjoy your time away from screens and keyboards. Um, thank you very much for joining us on Inside Supercars on this year review and look forward to uh, lining up and hearing of your news for uh, 2018 and beyond. Well, thank you, and season's greetings to you, gentlemen, and to all the viewers. Merry Fact. Christmas and a Happy New Year. Have a good one. See Bye. Later. And uh, we want to thank Mark Fogarty. It was great to hear from him, give his wisdom on all after all his years of covering motorsport on the 2017 season. Coming up after the break, we'll be with Tom Howard. And uh, we want to thank Mark Fogarty. It was great to hear from him, give his Wisdom on all after all his years of covering motorsport on the 2017 season. Coming up after the break, we'll be with Tom Howard. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's crew at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself... Of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. As we said in the head of our show that we're lucky enough to be joined this week not only by Mark Fogarty, but by Tom Howard. Tom Howard, of course, is the editor of Speed Cafe, uh, a 10-year veteran of reporting and writing about motorsport. So very welcome, Tom, to the end of the season review. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It was an extraordinary season. Um, obviously, uh, you know, DJR Team Penske stepping up to the mark and pushing Triple Eight as they hadn't been in recent years their most serious opposition since PRA back in, uh, what was it, 14? Or 15, maybe. The one thing that was uh, uh, then highlighted was the uh, the way in which the season was going to unwind, or wind up, rather, with um, 
Wind Cup coming into the last race of the year or the second last race of the year, leading the points, um, uh, only to have a disastrous uh, Saturday, all three Triple Eight cars having a, a disastrous day. That certainly could have been foreseen. No, it was, uh, I think you've highlighted there, but it was a remarkable weekend overall, really, wasn't it? I mean, no one, uh, no one really expected the way that the championship would unfold on that final race, especially after uh, after Saturday, as you said, with, with Jamie. Actually, speaking to him, sort of after the race on Saturday, he, he said to me, "I need a miracle to to win this," and um, that was how sort of low he was. And although he wasn't giving up, he admitted that it was a long shot. Um, but yeah, somehow. Uh, everything aligned for him and uh, he's come through and, and done the business which was a remarkable remarkable turnaround it was a coming of age for DJR team Penske as well as Scott McLaughlin um, and for them to have a one-two on Saturday and then triple eight a one-two on Sunday that just seems like what the heck's going on I mean it's just it almost you know collusion could almost be a word used yeah yeah when you look at it like that it's quite bizarre isn't it but yeah, I reckon it was one of those it really summed up the season. That those those were the two top teams, and for them to have a one-two each on the weekend probably showed. Uh, you know, if you were going to look at the season by just looking at one weekend, that would have set you up for the sort of picture that it was in a way. The season had a lot of remarkable things about it. I mean, Erebus winning Bathurst, which there were very few people who weren't pleased with that one because Davy Reynolds' popularity. I mean, he won the award for the most popular driver, the Barry Sheen Medal. Yeah, that was a, a, as I said, an amazing result, and and one that I feel was deserved. Just looking at Dave Reynolds' record this year, he really has been sort of the best of the rest outside of those top three teams, and, and regularly so. He's had really, really strong one lap pace, and backed up with I think sixteen top ten finishes this year. So that's really good effort from him, and a team that you know probably doesn't have the resource of some of the biggest teams in pit lane and really and they hate saying it but they have punched above their weight this year but that uh, yeah it follow, thoroughly deserved when you actually look back on it it actually was a crazy race for Bathurst, Bathurst 1000 as it usually is but when you actually look back on it it was a well well earned drive and a well deserved victory for David and he ended up with another podium um, to end things on Sunday so that was fantastic for them and somewhere I believe it might have been worth substantial amount of money for bonuses for the crew. Yeah, yeah. He did seem to highlight something about that, which was, uh, you know, which is nice to find these little cheeky sort of characters and that he does sort of give us those little insights that perhaps some drivers don't. Uh, but yeah, no, it would have been a... They would have had a good year uh, and a good end of season party, I thought. <laughs> Tom, you had a, uh, a big year this year, to say the least. Moved up to the, uh, the head role at Speed Cafe. You finished the year as the uh, 2017 Journalist of the Year is uh, selected by the uh, voting panel in the uh, Supercar Media Awards. What was it like? I'll be honest, I was pretty shocked. Um, didn't really expect to, to do that, but it's been it's massive, massive honour, uh, probably the, the biggest of my career, certainly, um, and I've only been in the country five years, so I'm quite quite honoured to pick that up considering the level of competition out there it's really high and and this category and is very hard I think to report on as a journalist it really tests you to your limit and I feel like I've been tested to my limit this year it's it's been a, a real challenge to to step up to to this sort of role um it's but I feel like I've done a pretty decent job I think I've done okay um 
So yeah, no, it really, I genuinely was pretty lost for words. To be honest, it was um, yeah, a massive honour and uh, something I'm very proud of. Were you able to enjoy it, or was it just too stressful the whole year? <laughs> I think I I allowed myself to enjoy the last the last round, the Newcastle round. <laughs> Other than that, it's been it's been quite. Uh, stressful, but it's one of the things I think. Like next year, I'll be able to enjoy a bit more because I just know know everyone in the paddock, and you know, once you can sort of get over that hurdle, you can sort of re- not relax, but at least sort of take it in a bit more and, and just enjoy it rather than just focusing on, on smashing out stories, which is which are which is our job. But also just trying to sort of learn that paddock is is um, well. I've been here a few years that you, you don't really learn that paddock unless you do the full season you don't make those relationships with people so you've got to you know it's it's quite a hard job and it's quite intimidating when you're not from from this country too sometimes you feel like you're the outsider so it's um yeah (laughs) it's been good but yeah hopefully i'll be able to enjoy a bit more next year and tell me tom in your background what other race series have you covered as a regular thing uh, so British touring cars, I've done rounds of world touring cars and GTM, um, A1GP, Formula 2, and it's previous guys with with Jonathan Palmer running it. Um, so, yeah, I've had a fair sort of mixture. I've done a lot of a bit of rallycross as well um, back in the day, so at Lyndon Hill. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it, as, as things I've covered, there's no question that this is the most competitive championship I've ever had to cover. Um and you know I've done Formula One races as well, so it's that's a it's it's a really you should be proud of what you've got here. It's very very good, very good standards. Um, there are things that I prefer in other championships in Europe, but um, you know each to their own. But this there's certainly the competition here. You, you'd be hard pressed to find anything that that mirrors that uh, anywhere else. And and how do you find you know covering the series? I mean, do you find the teams are uh, open to you? Do you find that uh, you get access to the things you need and want? Yeah, the, yeah. on the whole, um, yes, everyone's pretty open. Um, it does take a while, as I said, it's sort of alluded to. You, you kind of takes a while to sort of knock down some of those doors originally to sort of, to, to, you know, for, because people don't know who you are and, and you're a new face and, you, you know, you, you don't sound like you're from this country either. It doesn't help. So you have to sort of, make sure that yeah, you, you make those relationships and show that you actually do understand what's being what's being played out in front of you so um yeah no i think it's i think it's good on a whole there, as i said there are positives and negatives in terms of how from a media standpoint with with report on this championship there, there are things that they could do a lot better and but there are things that they do very well so yeah it's it swings around about so i don't think you'll ever find anything that's perfect it was almost like uh, DJR Team Penske and Red Bull between Supercars and Speed Cafe this year, Tom, because, uh, of course, they went in and poached Stefan from Speed Cafe and it had that undertone of Ludo Lacroix going over to, uh, <laughs> going over to uh, DJR Team Penske and, uh, of course, over at Red Bull, they just stepped everyone up. Yeah, yeah, no, you could make that analogy, but, um, you know, yeah, Stefan's... Stefan's done a very good job and done an extremely good job this year as well and has done for the last few years. So he's certainly one of the benchmarks that I've had to, to sort of match myself up to. And I think he's, yeah, he's definitely one of the best journalists I've, I've worked with and, and seen in operations since I've been working. So, um, 
Yeah, no, you, you could make that analogy, but um, we'll, we'll see how it goes, how it plays out next year. Have you always been a digital person, or have you done analog publishing as well, or analog reporting? So, started out as a as a newspaper man, so I've, I've been sort of working on daily and weekly newspapers. So I've always been uh, from that side of things, and it's only, we did do online stuff at the newspaper we worked at, but obviously the newspaper was the the priority, so that had to get out on time. But also done magazines as well, but uh, only only the last uh, since I've been speaker for that, I've really been solely an online journalist. Is there pros and cons? Absolutely, yeah. Um, there's, as you, as you guys will know, the online world, your job really never ends. It's uh, it, there isn't any sort of cut off point, and there's always uh, something you can put up on the website. It's one of those things that uh, there's a sort of a yearning for more content. As soon as you put something up, there's, the readers want something else up. So it's not like where you put a newspaper or a magazine to bed. And you you know you wait for that to come out the next week or the next day or whatever. It's it's a it's a massive undertaking and uh, it it does take a lot of your energy. That's that's for sure. Living in the digital world, then Tom, I imagine that the uh, year's format and the race uh, uh, results uh, suited you entirely. In last race, last corner, last event. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, numbers-wise, we did. Uh, it went very well for us with the way the championship panned out, and I think it would be the same for most most outlets around the country. Um, you, those are sort of the sort of finals you, you, you kind of dream of because there's plenty of uh, you know plenty of controversy, plenty of uh, unexpected outcomes that people will want to read about. And apart from being highlighted by uh, being named the journalist of the year. Um, what, what other things do you look back on this year as a highlight? Uh, you can't, you can't really sort of. The, the final round will, will be my overriding highlights. I just think, from a, from anything I've covered, I've never, never covered anything quite like that before. That was, that will live long in the memory in terms of just the the way that a championship turned and and, and went like that was just. Uh, I don't think we'll see many of those, and I think that will probably be certainly up, up there in my when I look back when I finish my career I reckon I'll look back on that and think that was one of the coolest things I, I covered uh, a, but yeah a word you might like to add to your descriptions of it and it's a word I've used from uh, from last Sunday uh, and that's convoluted because I don't ever remember a race being so convoluted as that to end up with the result that it did yeah, I think the only other race where I've, I've sat there and thought, "Wow, this is um, this is kind of crazy," was that Phillip Island race this year with all the tyre failures because yeah. you, you never knew quite who was going to win that because you didn't know if they were going to make it to the end. You know, it was one of those ones where it was kind of convoluted. But yeah, going back to Newcastle, yeah, the, the championship swung between the two protagonists so many times that you, you, you couldn't really sit there and write a race report before the race had. Had finished in a way because you, you were changing them by the minute. So it was, uh, yeah, an interesting one to cover. And apart from heading back to uh, the UK to your family for a, a white Christmas, um, what are you looking beyond that to next year? Next year's uh, events, next year's Speed Cafe reports? Well, I think next year is going to be an interesting one. Um, from a championship standpoint, you, your head's in with, a, with a plenty to talk about. Um, we've got, you know, 
you know, four or five rookies, full-time rookies next year. That it's going to be a real change in the guard. I think that's going to be interesting to see how those young guys play out. And certainly, I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to seeing and visiting the the, uh, the Ben Maxwell Park just to see what a brand new circuit would look like in Australia. Because um, you know, it's been a long time since since there's been one here, and and every time there's a new circuit, it's always pretty interesting to see how that plays out. So there's plenty to look forward to next year. Tom, you, you mentioned uh, a couple of times that there's things you like overseas that we don't do here. Can you enlighten us to what some of those things are? Uh, from just from a media standpoint, I think um, uh, I feel like um, everyone's like there's a lot more. Let's say. If you have an idea or you have a, a concept, there are a lot less barriers to actually achieving that concept. So uh, if you wanted to do a certain feature or a certain, you had an idea for a story or something, I feel like you, you're much more likely to get it achieved in Europe and championships over there than you are here. Um, it's just purely the way that the, the model of the, of the championship is here. It's, it's just slightly different. At times, you, you, you feel like there are certain barriers up, um, uh, which is interesting because I've come from a background where it's pretty much like the championships like wants as much promotion as possible from the media, um, and they will be bending over backwards to 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 see that. Whereas here, it's the other way; it's slightly the other way around. Really, it's you, they, it feels that's what it feels like. But whether whether I've misjudged that 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 could well be down to me. But it just feels like maybe. There are a few more barriers here to, to the media, but that's just, yeah, that's my personal view. Is it that overseas isn't as television-focused as what we are perhaps here? Um, it's not, not necessarily the case. I just think maybe in Europe, for example, and certainly in England, uh, football is so dominant that um, motorsport doesn't get much of a look in in terms of the media, so maybe that's a factor in terms of why championships really are desperate and they would help anyone out who wants to promote their, their championship by doing some sort of feature or story because they're battling against uh, sports which get a far much more of a showing in, in, the, in, the, in the newspapers. I'll, I'll give you an example in terms of um, like supercars here in Australia will get a fair bit of column inches in, in sort of regional papers around in the country and some and to some degree more than formula one where the other way around in england the, the only thing you'll ever get in a you will ever see in a newspaper is formula one and and it will be very small and it won't it won't have so much impact as the other sports so it's 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 one of those things i'm afraid i think it's just probably a uk or a european thing where unfortunately the the ball sports have far much more clout than motorsport and what was your favorite Headline, or what was your favourite story that you read this year, either yours or someone else's? Oh, that's a really good question. Actually, I don't actually, I don't actually know what what my answer would be for that. Um, there's been a lot of good stories this year. Um, wow, uh, you've really put me on the spot. I don't, I don't know. Um, that's that's a good. Oh, wow, I don't know what to say. Um, I think the story, one of the stories of the year, obviously. Would be the the sort of walking shore, uh, the changes going on there for next year. I think that that was probably one of the ones that I was a, maybe a little bit surprised at. Um, so when that did all come together and come off, I thought that that was probably a big story uh, that was I'll certainly remember. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's it would probably have to be that. But 
Yeah, it's a good question. I would need to think about that more. <laughs> to be honest, uh, there's so many stories, it's hard to remember them all. Indeed. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful to talk to you, Tom. We wish you a great break and look forward to talking to you in the new year. Like yourself, I'm looking forward to seeing Tail and Ben. Uh, we'll have to wait until August till the supercars get there, but uh, I'm going to stick my nose in, I think, at that uh, GT Shannon's round in April. But uh, until then, Tom, thank you so much for joining us on our review of uh, 2017 and look forward to catching up with you in the new year. Thanks very much for having me, yeah. And after the break, we'll be back with our final thoughts on the 2017 Inside Supercar Show. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Scott Pye, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Well, the extraordinary thing that I wanted to uh, highlight was something that um, I think I'm going to uh, indulge myself in, in going to New Zealand in January. And one of the reasons is because New Zealand motor racing has been producing more young drivers at a greater rate and with more high-rising on their lives. (coughs) Sorry. Go to New Zealand in January to go and see... Something that New Zealand's been doing on a regular basis, producing good young drivers. Now, this year we saw 18 race wins by New Zealanders. 17 of those were shared between the three season regulars. But guess what? Coming in is probably one of the hottest young properties in Richie Stanaway. He'll be in one of the PRA cars. And he won his first race at his uh, second go at being at, uh, with PRA. And Richie Stanaway will join McLaughlin, Van Gisbergen and Coulthard to be a quartet of New Zealand drivers to push the Australians like they've never been pushed before. It should be a fascinating race for the uh, championship next year. I'm looking forward to watching it again. Indeed. So to all at Inside Supercars, all the guests we've had on board, all the people who've worked so hard to to, uh, make this show a regular success for us, thank you so much for your efforts. And, Craig, I hope you have a great season and look forward to uh, doing it all again in uh, 2018. Yeah, looking forward to it as well, Tony. It's been great to have you on board and uh, a real change for me indeed, and which I've very much enjoyed. Just to let the listeners know, we did a bunch of interviews towards the end of the year, and over the next few weeks we're going to play those interviews in full. So they won't be the full show that you're used to for Inside Supercars, but there's quite some interesting interviews. Mark Dutton, Kurt Zasuski, James Warburton will be kicking it all off next week. So I hope you'll continue to tune in over the summer for that. And it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.